Look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says, Keep thou foot, lay foot when thou goest into the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. There are some things that we can do that are really bad, not even realizing that we're doing bad. And he's talking about something specific here. He says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and now upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. The title of my message this morning is Let Thy Words Be Few. Okay, Let Thy Words Be Few. Now when I say that, let thy words be few, uh, this isn't something that we just get to use for anything. All right? Husbands, this isn't something you get to tell your wives. Uh, and say, you know, honey, did you hear Pastor's sermon today when she's talking to you off on the way home? He said, let thy words be few. You know, this isn't something that you say to me after the service and say, Pastor Tommy, you preached pretty long in the sermon today, and you know, the Bible says, let thy words be few, okay? You, you know, you don't get to just use that anytime you, want to, you just want people to stop talking, okay? This is talking about something specific, and it's something that maybe is a little foreign to us. Uh, we don't really have these, a lot of the same customs and practices that they did back in these days, but he's talking here specifically about vowing vows. Now, we don't do this here, but you know, um, imagine though if we were to do something, if we were to have like a special service and say, all right, folks, we're going to, uh, well, a lot of churches do this, they'll have like faith promise missions uh, pro- program. And if you're not familiar with that, that's where people in the church, they, uh, they commit to giving a certain amount of money every month towards missions, okay? Now that sounds pretty good, right? Except in faith promise missions, you're supposed to like it's supposed to be by faith, all right? So if you think you can afford to give $50 a month for missions, don't do $50 a month. You need to give something that you can't afford, you know? All right? You know, you need to if you can only afford 50, well, you need to do 100. And then just see if the Lord doesn't bless you. And so what they'll do, uh, you know, the preacher will get up and he'll tell a bunch of stories that he made of up about how he gave and he won the lottery the next day and all these blessings that came uh, because he, you know, promised to give this money. And then people will get up in church, you know, and I, I pledge to give a hundred dollars a month, you know, I, and, I, and they'll fill it out on a card and they're all making these, basically making vows, okay? And folks, if you get up in church and you say. Pastor Tommy, I'm going to give a thousand dollars, you know, a month to missions. Now, if you want to do that, go right ahead. We'll take it. Okay, but don't you dare get up and say that and then not do it. Okay, when you do that, you make the sacrifice of fools. Don't you think that you can just get up in church and you can make promises in front before God and before everybody else? And then say, well, it's God. He's not going to send the repo guy to my house like the car dealer is. And then just not pay it. Don't go making promises that you can't keep. Don't go vowing vows. And they had things like that that they would do back then. And it's not all bad. But here's, here's the thing he's warning people here. 
don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Because the thing is, nobody told you you had to vow make all these promises. Nobody commands you. God didn't command you to give this certain amount of money every month for His missions or whatever. All right, I'm just using that as an illustration. God did not command you to do that. So, since He didn't command you to do that, you're not violating anything in the Bible if you just keep your mouth shut and you don't say anything. If you just keep your mouth shut and then you just give it when you can and you don't give it when you... You haven't sinned. You've not committed to anything. But folks, once you stand up, once you open your mouth, once you've made that commitment, now, if you don't do it, you're sinning. Now you're committing a great sin and you're taking light of these things. That is a dangerous thing. So he's saying here, when you go into the house of God, you know, let your words be few in the sense, don't just go making hasty promises. Don't go saying things uh, you know, making promises you're not ready to keep. Now, what I want to do, because we don't do this and we're not going to start doing this, okay? I've heard a lot of pastors, they used to do things like this where they try to raise money for stuff. And like, alright, and they'll start, they start taking pledges, alright? You know, church, we need, we, you know, we need, we're getting ready to buy a new lawnmower here at the church, alright? We need a new lawnmower here at the church. Uh, we need to raise, you know, uh, $3,000 or something. I, 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 I need a pledge, alright? You don't have to give it right now, but you just got a promise. Give it the next month, alright? Uh, I'm looking for hands. You know, who's going to give a hundred? Yeah. We're not going to do that, okay? But your pastors used to do that kind of thing, and then they keep track, and they would like raise money. They'd be writing it all down based on the promises of the people there in the audience. They do this at camp meetings a lot too. At camp meetings, this is really big, and a lot. I've heard preachers. I heard a preacher one. I've heard this a couple times, but one time in particular, a preacher got up and was like, "You know what? We're not going to do that this year." The reason we're not going to do that this year, I got tired of making liars out of preachers. You get these preachers that come and say our church is going to give this much money. They're the first ones to lie about it, and it's true. They just they don't they don't come through. And I've been at some of those things before. And any time I ever gave, I always had the checkbook right there, and I wrote it out then because I knew I'd forget about it too, and I didn't want my mouth to cause my flesh to sin. But you know we're not going you know so we're not going to do that type of thing right now. But I do believe there is a modern day application that we can make in our lives. I believe there's ways that we violate this principle here in the Bible very often as individuals in church. And churches are some of the first places where people do this type of thing that I'm going to be talking about. And this get this kind of thing, it gets you in trouble. You need to realize how important your words are to God. If you make a promise, He takes it serious. You might not take it serious, but He does. But let me show you a few ways that I believe we violate this principle in the Bible. I see this type of thing quite often. But go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 5. So, this is just ways Christians typically violate this principle. But the first thing we do, we violate this principle by how we pronounce judgment on others. Okay? Now, now read, uh, follow this passage right here, and I'll, I'll say more about this. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 7, this is after David has committed. Um, or Second Samuel chapter twelve. This is after David committed this sin with Bathsheba, and you all remember the story. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he tells David about a man who was a rich man who had great possessions, and he stole a man's lamb. He only had one lamb that he loved, and he stole it. And David, boy, he gets angry when he hears about what this man did. And it says, and David's anger was kindled greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, 
because he did this thing, because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. So David right here, he gets all caught up in the moment he gets angry, and he pronounces a judgment that really doesn't make any sense. He said he's going to die, and he's going to have to pay fourfold. Well, you can't really do both, all right? You know, but at the same time, you know, David or Nathan told David, "Hey, the Lord's not going to kill you for this thing." But we do know that David ended up paying fourfold. It ended up costing him four of his children this wicked sin that he had done. But think about this: if David would have realized that he was pronouncing his own judgment, do you think he would have come up with the fourfold judgment? Do you think he would have been that harsh if he would have known that, hey, what is about to come out of my mouth is going to come back on me? And isn't that what we see in Matthew chapter 7? Everybody's favorite verse, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. One thing that Christian people are often very quick to do is pronounce really harsh judgments on people. And you know what? You need to understand when you get up and you start pronouncing harsh judgments on people that God is going to hear that and that is how God is going to judge you. And you need to keep that type of thing in mind. And folks, I'm just going to be honest. You know, I sometimes do that type of thing too. And you know, with some of these things, you know, I mean it, you know. So, for example, you know, I'm I'm really mean in my judgment towards perverts and things like that. You know, I think they ought to get death and life in prison. You know, kind of like David's judgment. You know, and uh, you know, just uh, you know, kill them and you know, and do horrible things. You know, do, you know, do whatever you can. You know, I guess they got hell. That's good enough. But that's just kind of how I feel about that type of thing. But you know what? That's my attitude. So you know what? If I were to ever do something like that, I should die. Okay. I should die. And I'm just going to say it right now, and I don't think I'm giving the sacrifice of fools. I mean this. I would hope that the Lord would kill me before He would ever let me be a pervert. I, re- I really would. I, that is just, that's a fate worse than death. I don't ever want that type of thing to happen. But you understand, when you say things like that, the Lord just may take you up on it. And so you better be careful with that. So it's real easy for me to talk that way about perverts, something I don't think I'll ever do. But what about when it comes to something that maybe I might struggle with? You know, those are the things where we kind of change our tune sometimes. But you know what? Some people don't. Some people pronounce the harshest judgments on everybody. You've got people that come through churches. I mean, they just want to kick everybody in the church out. I mean, they just, I mean, you know, nobody's good enough to be in church. You know, if I asked Tommy, if you were really hardcore, you know, you'd kick people out of church for this, you'd kick people out of church for that. You wouldn't let this person come to the church if they dress this way. You know, and it's just like, man. You know, do we really want that to be the standard? Because if that's how you run your mouth, you understand God's going to expect that standard from you. And often, people who are the harshest judges in the church, they're usually the first ones to burn out and flop out and give up. And you got to understand, when you do that, when you're pronouncing these harsh judgments, this is what God is going to expect from you. And you just need to understand, you are not required to judge every situation. Okay, so now I mean you can if you want, but remember you know, in Matthew chapter seven, you know he said, and you know why considerest thou the or what you know the beam or the mote that is in thy brother's eye? Considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. You know if there's people in the church 
who have problems, did you know that you have not been ordained of God and called to be the judge, jury, and executioner of that person? Did you know that if you want to, that you can just pray for that person and love that person and just keep your opinion to yourself? Did you know you're allowed to do that? You know, you're not required to raise everybody else's kids. You're not required to straighten out everyone else's husband or wife. You're not required to do those things. And, but yet, some people, they feel it is their God-given responsibility to judge every situation. You've got them on social media. Any type of thing goes on in a church, they all got to weigh in on it. You know, they got to post a video. You know, this is what I think about this situation. Always judging every situation. And anybody that does this type of thing too, anybody, the people who are the most public about their opinions on situations, usually are people who have the harshest judgments and the highest standards. Just understand, you can go ahead and judge that situation if you want. I don't believe you're sinning in that. But if you don't live up to that, you realize you have your mouth then caused you to sin greatly. If I find, you know, if somebody in this church, you come to me, you're like, you know what, Pastor? I saw so and so. He was out drinking. He was doing this. And you know what, Pastor? I believe he needs to be called out in the church. He needs to be rebuked. And he needs to be literally cast out of the church. Not just told to leave, but we ought to literally pick him up and throw him out of the church. That is what I believe. If you were really hardcore, Pastor Tommy, you would do that type of thing. Okay? And listen. I would probably I would disagree with that, but do you realize now if we ever see you out doing that very thing, that's not what we should do to you if we were really just people. We would literally bring you before the church, bring you up here, tell everybody what you did, we would grab a hold of you, we would carry you out and throw you into the parking lot. Alright? Now, I don't think anybody here really wants that to happen to them. Just like I don't think David wanted himself to have to pay fourfold for what he did, but you know what? He was fine with somebody else paying fourfold for it. And David's mouth, when he said this, it ended up coming back to haunt him. But the expectations that we put on others, these things are going to be expected from us. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 18. It says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Before as much as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, you all know this story. Remember that Lord, He ended up having mercy on this servant and He forgave him of the debt. Whenever He was the guy in the hot seat, His judgment was that His Master should have mercy on him. But then, later, when somebody owes Him something, He's wanting to cast that man into prison. He's taken him by the neck. Pay me that thou owest. That was, you know, He had a completely different set of rules for other people than He did for Himself. And we see that when this Lord who had forgave the man this great debt found out about what he did, you know what he did? He ended up treating that man exactly the way he tried to treat the other man. And that is what God is going to do to us. You better watch out how harsh you are in your judgment. And folks, I'm not going to say anything to you. If you are, if you are, I mean, if you have high standards, if you're hardcore on an issue, 
I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not going to discourage you from being just this, you know, gung ho, hardcore, you know, greatest Christian in the world. But let me tell you something. You better not be a hypocrite about it. You better not be a hypocrite. If you expect me to judge other people a certain way to this super high standard, you know, just don't get mad if one of these days I use that exact same standard on you. And that's exactly what God does to us. So you better watch out. We've got to be careful that we don't set unattainable precedents. That's what that's what people do. You know, anytime somebody messes up, anytime there's a situation, they always start setting these really high standards for themselves. You know, and or, and, or it's like, you know, there's a pastor. You know, maybe for a pastor, they want to show how hardcore they are, and it's like, you know what? I don't like this one pastor, so I'm going to declare him unqualified because he doesn't meet my standards. You know, I personally think, uh, you know, the Bible says not to be a novice. All right. Well, how do you define a novice? Okay. Well, I'll define it for you. You know, you've got to read through your Bible at least 50 times. You know, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to read through your Bible at least four times a year. I wouldn't give two cents for a pastor who doesn't read his Bible four times a year. Go soul winning five days a week. Pray six hours a day. You know, I mean, do all these things. You know, and I could, I could get up if I want to get up and say all that kind of stuff and show how hardcore I am. You know, I better be ready to do that myself. And I listen to guys too. Most of them who are not pastors. Most of them who are new pastors always setting these super high standards for pastors. And it's like, buddy, if you want to be that hardcore, go for it. But you know what? You know, you better be doing all that stuff. You better read through your Bible 50 times. You better do it four times a year. You better go soul winning five days a week. You better pray six hours a day. You know, you better do all these things that you say you're going to do. And what ends up happening to these people, when you start setting high precedence, you know what ends up happening to you? You end up burning out. You end up burning out. You're like that guy that's running in a marathon that goes and he does. He just sprints at the beginning, blowing everybody away. But you know what? Those guys always drop out. The people who usually take off the quickest from the starting line are the ones who usually drop out first. And I've seen this over and over again in my lifetime. So I've been around the ministry my entire life. But one thing I've learned is that life and ministry, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And you know what? I'm not going to set these super high annual standards for a pastor. How many times he's got to read through the Bible. How much he's got to go soul winning. Because, you know, if, if you read through your Bible four times in a year, great. Good, good job. Five times a year, great. Wonderful. But you know what? I'm more concerned, are you going to be reading through your Bible ten years from now? You know, I've never read through my Bible four times in a year. I'll tell you that. I've, I've finished three times in a year, but I had started the previous year. That's the best I've ever done in getting through the Bible. And you say, well, that's not that good. Well, let me. I will also say, though, I've been reading through my Bible every year since I was nine. So I've been doing that now for almost 30 years. You want to go ahead and run your mouth and set that real high standard. Let's see if you're still doing that 30 years from now. Okay, I, I just try to go soul winning just one day, at least one day a week. Sometimes I do it two days a week. You think you can do better than that? Well, great, but here's the thing. Can you be doing that for 30 years like I have? Doing it consistently? Not many people can do that. You need, And so you've got to make sure you don't go setting real high precedence. And a lot of young guys, they get involved in ministry, they get involved in church, 
and they're brand new to this stuff, and they, they come in running their mouth in the church, you know, criticizing everybody else in the church because they don't do quite as much as they do. And it's like, okay, well, they don't do as much as you do, but they've been doing what they're doing for 40, 50 years. You have been doing what you're doing for five months, so you know what? Shut up. You know, nobody cares what you have to say in that situation. I'll take the long term, I'll take the faithful over just these people who just blow in, blow up, and blow out. And they come through churches all the time. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. And when you set too high of a standard, you're going to burn yourself out. And me, I, you know, I'm a pretty good runner, but I'm not a real good sprinter. You know, there's a lot of people that can run faster than I can, but not always as long as I can. You know, and I, that's just kind of my thing. I'm not built for speed, I guess. But you know, I can I can usually go the long distance, and that's just how I am in my personality and what I do. When we started this church, I thought it was going to be running 100 after the first year. I thought that was going to happen, but you know. Thankfully, you know, the way I was raised and just kind of how I am, you know, I'm just kind of a, I, I do things in a long term way. And so it, you know, so we didn't just explode out 100 people right away, but we've been growing every year since we started. You know, I'm still here almost eight years later. There's been several churches that have started and stopped in this community since we've been here. I mean, some of the churches that are here, I mean, I, I mean, it's not going to be long and I'm going to be one of the longest standing pastors in the area. It's not going to take that long. Because there's just not many. There are some. There's some guys in this in this community that have been going at it and doing the same thing for a really long time. But, you know, some of them are getting old and retiring. They ended faithful, but now I'm ahead of them. <laughs> but um, not that it's a contest or anything. But that is that is that is the way it is that's the way it is. So you know, the way you pronounce judgment on others, those standards you set, the measures you meet are going to be measured to you. So you better watch yourself when you've never done anything before, especially if you've never done anything long term. You better watch it setting these really high standards. You are going to burn out or you're just going to end up looking like a hypocrite and shaming yourself. So watch out for that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23. So another way that we hurt ourselves too with our words. way Christians violate this principle we see in Ecclesiastes of letting thy words be few is we try to make ourselves look good to other people. Now, for some reason, some people are just desperate to have the praise of men, to have the adoration of other people, but that, boy, that's just dangerous. All right? you're, you're setting yourself up. You know, I'm the kind of person... You know, there's some people that are real good at kind of building up hype. All right? They're real good at hype, building things up. But I've always had this philosophy, I would rather people be pleasantly surprised than greatly disappointed. So I'm not a big hype guy, you know. And I, I try to make some of my best messages that I preach to be the non-clickbait titles, you know. I don't want to have like these great titles and then just be a very disappointing message. But often my, often my better messages have these disappointing titles that like nobody wants to watch on YouTube and stuff. And my philosophy is, but you know what, if the, these people end up watching these things... They're going to learn that you know not to just do the clickbait because you know you never know when you're going to miss the best stuff and then they want to you know they want to hear everything you know that's just kind of how how I roll on that but you know I don't want to I don't want to build myself up because if I do one if if I do if I just get up here today and I just talk about myself in a way that is just I mean I'm the most amazing person that's ever lived 
you know what? I know human nature. It's not going to make you like me better. Because what do we all want to do? What do we all do whenever that kid runs up on a hill and declares himself king of the mountain? What happens? What immediately happens when a, when a boy runs on top of a hill and declares himself king of the mountain? All right? You knock him off, don't you? Okay? Everybody attacks that person when you do that. And so I, I would rather avoid that. But in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. They're saying the right things, but they're not doing it. It says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born. I don't believe we ought to give our tithe. I believe we ought to give a double tithe. 20%. You'll get to double blessing. Well, you know, fine. I'll up that. I say triple. Co-op, you know, you got you to watch that stuff. Alright? That, that, that'll get you in trouble. They lay heavy burdens on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They may broad their phylacteries and enlarge the boards of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and in the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of all men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love that stuff. But listen, when you do, when you go building yourselves up, when you try making yourselves look good to other people, you understand, if I convince all of you that I am the most holy person that lives in the Sterling Rock Falls area, if I get a pair of and I say, folks, ladies and gentlemen, there is not one person in the Sterling Rock Falls community that has less sin than I do. I am the most godly. I read my Bible more than anyone. I never do anything. If I do that, guess what you all are going to do? You're all going to start watching every little thing I do, critiquing every little thing I do, and now, I mean, if I so much as spit on a sidewalk when I'm out there, I'm going to have everybody in the church criticizing me. Why? Because I let my mouth just build myself up, set this high standard, and now I've got to try to live that way. Now it is a contest. Now I'm not trying to be like Christ anymore. I'm just trying to be better than the second best person in town. You know, that is a, that is not a way uh, that we should want to live, and we need to be careful not to try to assume that we know what someone wants to hear. See, the reason people say this stuff, they think this is what people want to hear to impress them, so they will think better of me. But look, not everybody thinks the way that we do. Turn over to Second Samuel chapter four. I want to show you this here. I think is interesting because said, so, you know, why? Why would somebody get up in a church and talk about how holy they are? Why would somebody get up in a church and brag about their high standards, be critical of other people? Why would they do that? Why would somebody come? Why, why do people call me up and want to tell me how hardcore they are on certain issues and wonder if, no, if our church is that hardcore? On, you know, why, why do people want to call and brag about that? Why would a guy call me that called me years ago and tell me, asking about our church, asking about our beliefs, and then just get up and just say, now, Pastor Tommy, just so you know, I tithe. Shut up, alright? You know, it's like he's telling me this, thinking this is going to make me want this guy so bad. As soon as he said that, I'm thinking, listen, we need money around here at the church, but we don't need some pompous windbag that, you know, announces to the pastor, I tithe. I, I, that was the most off-putting thing I ever heard in my life. I could not believe I couldn't believe when he said this, and he didn't even make very much money, so it didn't matter anyway. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you know, 
here's why they say that type of thing. He would say that type of thing to me thinking, this is going to make me like Him. This is going to make me want Him in our church. That's what he's seeking. He's seeking for approval. But you've got to understand, not everybody thinks the way you do about stuff. In your twisted mind, you think this is going to make people like you. But look, I like the story here in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Now, you remember after Saul died, remember he fell on a sword, but later this man comes and he tells David that Saul wasn't dead and that Saul wanted him to basically help him die. And so he went and stood on Saul and basically killed him. You all remember how he told that story? And then what did David do? David, when he heard that, he had that man put to death for touching the Lord's anointed. And at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10, it says, When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought some good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. So this guy, the reason he said this, and I don't even know for sure if he actually did do this. You know, the Bible doesn't exactly say, but he did tell this story, thinking. David's going to hear this and he's going to give me a reward. And what did David do? He killed him. And folks, I have, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I've had people that have called up before and told me how wonderful they are. And I usually try to run those people out. I usually try to steer those people away. That guy who called and told me that he tithes, you know, he was wanting to come to this church because uh, their pastor had resigned and they were getting a new pastor. And you know he voted against the new one where the rest of the church voted for it. And you know what I told that guy at the end of that phone call? I said, you know what? I said, I'd give that pastor a chance. I was like, I really think you ought to give him a chance. And he came that he came one Sunday here and I mean talked himself up. Some of you might probably even know who I'm talking about. Man, this guy talked himself up so big while he was here. And then I'm not kidding, he uh you know, he after church I told him, I said, you know, I said I I really think you ought to give that pastor a chance. I was like, you know, just go there. I said, you know, the church will vote for him. It sounds like he's a good guy. Just go give him a chance, all right? You know, and I said, if he's bad, you know, then come back over here. And so they did. They ended up going back over there. He wrote me a letter. Uh, he called me up later saying, hey, just so you know, because he knew I was probably devastated that they didn't start coming to our church. He's like, just so you know, we really enjoyed your church. We loved your preaching. You know, everything was great, but, you know, we have decided to stay at another church. We're going to give this pastor a chance. And I told him, hey, you did the right thing. <laughs> I was like, I said, you know, and, and, uh, and I meant that too. And, but people do. People who run themselves, you know, who talk themselves up with their mouths, they do that thinking this is going to cause people to like me better. But you know what? Not everybody thinks the way you do. And so you know what? You might as well just be honest. You might as well just be truthful. If you don't because you you can't go wrong with just being honest and being truthful and many people they often hurt themselves. They end up making just everybody not like them. They end up causing more problems by trying to build themselves up. Just don't do it. Just tell the truth. Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. And something that we can learn too, and this is just another example, another illustration from the Bible. Uh, we're not going to take time to turn there, but in the remember the story in Esther of Haman who hated the Jews. He hated Mordecai. He had a gallows made for Mordecai. And then, the king one night, he find, he remembers, he has them reading these records to him and he finds out about something Mordecai had done that had helped the king, that had probably saved the king's life. And so he calls Haman in 
asking him, hey, what should be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor? Y'all remember that story? And Haman's thinking, he's wanting to honor me, right? And so Haman, boy, he tells man, you ought to, you know, have this big parade for him in town, you know, drive him through the streets, you know, and just, you know, have somebody just proclaiming the greatness of this man. You know what Haman was doing in that situation? He was judging that situation as if it was going to be him. Alright? Now, in the story of Haman, that backfired on him because it was actually his enemy that was the good guy, and he ended up having to do all that stuff to Mordecai. And that is just one of the, I think, one of the funniest stories in all the Bible. I, I absolutely love that story. But you know what? What Haman did right there, that is how we should judge situations. Okay? If something bad happens to somebody, you ought to judge them like, hey, what if this were me? If the judge came to you and said, hey, I'm working on it, you know, we've got this case, this person did this, what should I do? You ought to judge that situation as you would want yourself to be judged. And you know what? What is it that we usually want? Don't we usually want mercy? We usually want grace. We usually want mercy. And that's the way we ought to judge situations, but uh, you know, said, and that's what that's what Haman actually did. He actually, I actually think he judged this in a good way. But you know what? Because he was such a wicked man with evil intentions, uh, God made it backfire on him. Just kind of shows the uh, the providence of God there. But we ought that ought to be our attitude. How do I want things done to me? That's going to do to other people. Right? If you really think that you're just so great that everybody ought to have you over your house and use their nicest you know china and silverware and you know, feed you fancy steak dinners and things like that, you know what you need to do? You need to take that treatment and you need to give it to somebody else in the church. Whatever it is that you think you deserve, or what you, you need to show that same type of thing to other people. And if you did that, I believe you would be better off. I believe you'd be a happier person. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And so another, another thing that people do that caused them to sin. He said, you know, let not thy uh, mouth cause thy flesh to sin. You know, I mean, in a multitude of words, there one of not sin. There's, I mean, our words can get us in so much trouble. But you know what? It's it's interesting how you know our our emotions they affect our behavior, don't they? You know, we are a very carnal people. Okay, we have a very wicked flesh. We need to take these things into consideration. And one thing that often happens with people that causes them to get in a lot of trouble is they just get caught up in the moment. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, it says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We should not have an attitude that bring on the temptation. All right? We ought to have the attitude of, Lord, deliver me from temptation because you know what? We often fail. We often mess up. And so our, our prayer ought to be for the Lord to deliver us from that temptation so we don't even have to face it. But at the same time, many people are, you know, they're just, they're so stuck on themselves. They're so gung ho about things. It's like they think they can do anything just not thinking about the future. And that's when they do. That's when they get caught up in the moment and start running their mouth. Another thing that's very common in Baptist churches to do is after service gets done, uh, the invitation plays. People start coming to altar praying. And then the pastor starts pressuring the, all the young men in the church. Some of you guys calling you to be a preacher. 
You know, you need to you need to come forward and you need to surrender uh, to the call to preach. And then they do, and they get them to come up and make these promises. You know, I promise to be a missionary to the deepest, darkest jungle of Africa without support. You know, without any. You know, they'll, they'll they'll go and they'll pledge all these things. They get caught up in the moment. You know, and then. And I have seen this so much. I used to go to all the youth conferences and things. I mean, these, these, these poor kids, they get manipulated into coming forward and surrendering to all these things because, you know, they went to youth conference last year and they already surrendered to pretty much everything you can surrender to. Okay, but now it's youth conference, you know, the next year. You know, it's youth conference 2019. Well, if you don't surrender to something, you know, you're not right with God and you're probably not saved. Alright, so, you know, it's invitation time, and it's like, you gotta go forward and surrender to something. And so they're always surrendering to all these things, making all these pledges. Well, if you surrender anything in the ministry, that means now you have to go to Bible college. Okay? That, that's what it always means. And then these kids, they go to Bible college, and then all of a sudden it's like reality check time. You know, they're a senior in Bible college. Hey, I'm expected to go out now and raise support. You know, I can't preach my way out of a wet paper bag. I don't know anything about the Bible. You know, I just got married. You know, my wife's pregnant. You know, I'm not ready for this. And so what do they end up doing? They end up getting up and saying, like we saw in Ecclesiastes, it was an error. It was a mistake. I got caught up in the moment. You know, I made a pledge that I shouldn't make, shouldn't have made. I never was called to preach. Some of these guys do this after they've been in the ministry for a while. Some of these guys, they go, they go to these conferences, they surrender, I'm going to go to this country, they go, they raise all the support, and then all of a sudden their wife's like, I don't want to be a missionary to that country. What are we going to do with, we had all this money given to us. You know, what are we going to do? And so what do they do? They drop out, they quit. I mean, past, um, missionary Bob Johnson was here several years ago. He told the story about some missionaries that came out there for like five years they raised support. They got out to the mission field and with the, the first week they were there, they got robbed. And after one week, he saw them packing up and leaving. He's like, where are you going? They said, we're going home. He's like, why? You just got here. He's like, we got robbed. We didn't come over here for this. And they went home, and he's like, "Man, we get robbed all the time." You know, that was his attitude. I mean, they went through all kinds of things, but you know, they do. They go and they're like, oh, you know, I never should have made that promise. Well, yeah, you're probably right, but you all realize once you make that promise, you're sinning when you don't go through with that promise. So you say, "All right." So then, what is a person supposed to do? I'll tell you what a person's supposed to do. Let thy words be few. Let thy words be few. Why don't you make sure that it actually is the right thing? Why don't you just do the right thing instead of just running your mouth about how you're going to do the right thing? How about you just, I mean, be a servant. How about you just actually just go and do the work? You don't have to do all these big fancy commitments. You don't always have to have the big theatrical show at the camp meeting and at the youth conference where you go forward and you know you go walking up with the white flag. I was at the youth conference. They did that one time. They had a whole bunch of white flags up there, and the teenagers were supposed to come up and grab one of those white flags, meaning I surrender. You know, and you know you got to wave that white flag in front of. But I've been in all kinds of things like that. I. I um, 
Yeah, it, I, I, I've seen some weird stuff, okay? Like, why don't we do any of that here? I was like, if y'all want, I'll get some white flags up here next week. And, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll do that type of thing. But, you know what? I really could care less, you know, about a bunch of people coming up here. I'm thinking about this. I remember one of the girls from our youth group, she went up there crying with a white flag. And do you think she ever surrendered? No, she was out of church then a couple of years and to this day still isn't even in church. Now I, now, I didn't go up and do the show with the white flag. But you know what? I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, and I, I'm glad, you know, thankfully, said I was a part of all that jump, but I just never got caught up in that stupidity. I, I, I observed it. I saw a lot of funny things growing up. But, you know, I was just careful not to open my mouth about things. I'll close with this story. All right? This is a true story. I don't believe in making up stories. I don't tell too many stories. All right? But I was at a youth conference and they're doing their typical altar call. Did the Lord speak about this? Speak about that? And then finally, we were all sitting on our chairs and he said, the preacher got me and said, I want everyone. And this is exactly what he said. This burned into my brain. He said, I want everyone who's completely right with God right now to stand to their feet. And, you know, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm completely right with God right now and stand to their feet. Well, I didn't stand up. Okay? And I had, I had my two friends that pretty much just did whatever I did that were sitting with me. And so we're, you know, and I, I could tell I'm surrounded by people standing up. I'm trying not to look, you know. Nobody looking around, they'll jump on you. And so I remember I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden the preacher says, all right, now I want all of you that are right with God, I want you to get down to your chairs right now and pray for all of those who aren't. And all of a sudden, it, I, I, I hear everybody sit down, get down, and I kind of look, I kind of peek. Me and my two friends, were, we were like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We were, <laughs> except in a bad way. We were the only people sitting in our chairs. I'm not lying. We were the only people. And it, it's too late at this point. I'm like, you know, I, I'm wanting to just like get down in my chair and you know pray, but it was it was too late. I was already busted, and I'm not lying. So I'm sitting there, embarrassed out of my mind. The entire place is praying for me and my two friends, and the preacher. Get, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I know this crowd. They're not all right, completely right with God, you know. And I'm sitting there, and the preacher, he's like, Those of you that are still sitting in your seats, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I think I'm waiting for the service to get over so I can go hide. You know, that's what I'm waiting for. That is exactly what happened. Folks, and that type of thing went on. You know, they have all these guys get up. One of the guys got him surrendered to preach. He and I, I shouldn't I'm, I'm I can go into so many stories, but the, this one guy that was kind of into every one of these things, doing everything he was supposed to do, one of the guys told me that he was a homo. Got busted. It, it and I was just like Yet, I'm the one that everybody's praying for. What in the world? You know, I think I watched the Twilight Zone a lot when I was a kid, and I think I entered the Twilight Zone a few times, you know. I just listened to a preacher yesterday, told somebody from our church that visited his church that I went off the deep end, and he feels so sorry for my death, okay? I just listened to this preacher last week, he preached a sermon teaching people that if you want to get your prayers answered, if you got that lost loved one you really want to see get saved, you need to go pay the fare, pay the full price, go over to Israel and pray at the Wailing Wall. 
Baptist preacher, yes. But I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that went off the deep end. Don't you love that? But, folks, now he's run his mouth. People in his church are going to go over there, pray at the Wailing Wall, they're not going to get their prayer answered because walls can't answer prayers. And then he's going to look like an idiot. You know what? Let your words be few. Be careful about how you run your mouth. It's going to come back on you. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. Lord, help us to follow these principles. Lord, help us not to be hasty with our mouth. Lord, help us to be merciful towards others. Help us to judge others the way that we would want to be judged. And I pray that You'll uh, just let um, help us to let others be happy and the Lord that we will be happy ourselves and help us not to set precedents and standards Lord that we could never keep but help us just be uh, merciful people like you are to us in your name we pray amen let's go ahead and